Hello, and welcome to this, another episode of Frame and Reference, by way of the Art of the Frame feed. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and today we're talking with the editors of the new film Missing, which is the sort of spiritual successor to Searching. Which, if you don't know, the kind of interesting hook of both of these films is that they take place, essentially, on screens. This isn't how they made it, but the film is presented as if you're just looking at sort of a screen capture of people's laptops, cell phones, whatever. Uh, and that might sound kitschy or something, but I'm telling you, it, it it's very unique and very fun to watch. And, and uh, the film itself, Missing, is um, a very compelling thriller. Uh, and I, I, I think if you enjoy film, you'll enjoy this one, even though it's a little uh, different than usual. And of course, there are filmed elements that they very cleverly are able to put into um, these quote unquote screen captures. But yeah, very cool. And so we talked to the editors, Austin Keeling and Ariel Zakowski, about all that, how they had to hand make every single GUI element. There is no actual screen capture in any of this. You know, their workflow using um, Adobe Productions, uh, you know, After Effects, all this stuff. And really, this is kind of a fun interview because they're not just the editors because they're doing so much animation. Um, they're also in some ways, you know, almost costume designers or production designers, art directors. Um, because they're creating these desktops for these characters and even the way someone types or like clicks the mouse or um, the intensity in which they do all that or, or the notes that they have on their desktop or how messy or not messy it is, all these things speak to the characters, right, that you're um, following. So it's uh, a very interesting sort of holistic way of presenting characters that uh, these two wonderful people um, got to participate in. So. Uh, it's a very fun conversation, uh, very educational. I, I actually did learn a couple things on this one, which tends to happen on these interviews, but it's cool when it shocks you, I suppose. <laughs> um, and so I think you'll love it. If uh, this is the first time you're hearing my voice, I primarily am the host of Frame and Reference, the cinematography podcast over on the Frame and Reference feed. You can just, you know, wherever you're listening to this, go search for it and... Um, You'll find me interviewing cinematographers every week, sometimes directors, sometimes, you know, production designers, stuff like that, but primarily cinematographers. But recently I was given the opportunity to uh, interview a handful of editors. So this is the sort of frame and reference editors edition here on the Art of the Frame feed, which I think um, people appreciate because Art of the Frame, traditionally a lot of editor talk. So I know you guys are going to find this one interesting. Um, like I said, subscribe to Frame and Reference wherever you're listening to this for more of this style of interview, I should say. Uh, and of course, as we're here, please enjoy my conversation with Austin Keeling and Ariel Zukowski. You guys been watching anything interesting recently? Um, the Last of Us. It's, it's a good one. Is my, I was so like, my, it was probably my most anticipated show. I've like never been so excited for a show to come out. Obviously, I played the game, was a fan, and I was like, yeah. gay, you know, like, what's his name? Druckmann paired with Craig Mason. I was like, it's going to be excellent, and it is. <laughs> yeah, I need to see that. I'm, uh, I just finished re-watching the first two seasons of Twin Peaks. Uh, oh, hell yeah. So that, I've been uh, deep in that world for the past couple weeks. <laughs> I've never seen that. It's a, listen, it's a slog, uh, but it's, 
it's worth it. And then I haven't okay. seen the Return the third season yet, so I'm I'm gonna watch that soon. Yeah. What about you? Uh, no, it's Last of Us for sure. Did did we did we are we caught up with episode three? That, yes. So I I convinced my girlfriend to watch it because she's like not that interested. By episode two, she's kind of interested. By the end of episode three, she was just sitting there. She was like, "That was devastating." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of the best hours of television I've seen in a hot minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like anyone that was on the fence, they won over with episode three. Yeah. It's, and it was uh, smart of them, too, to, like, make that a fairly significant departure from what we expect, from what people who know the game expect. Because then it's like, look, you think you know it. it it's fun to watch when you know it. But I think, like, them saying, well, there's going to be stuff here that you don't expect was really smart. Because now it makes yeah. us more, like, normal viewers, I well, and on but, top of that, yeah. it's not like, especially considering game game adaptations like Halo was brutal. That show was oh, yeah. not like not that it was well made. Like everyone who worked on it did a good job, but in terms of yeah. the story itself, I was just kind of like, man. And also, like the idea that he's taking off his helmet, fine, I don't care. But he, they have him, they have him do it like every five seconds. Like anytime he needs to punctuate a sentence, the helmet comes off. I mean, it's almost like they turn to him and he pulls it off and then they look at you and then they turn away and then they turn back and he's taking it off again. You're like, wait, we did he? <laughs> I missed that one. It's, Just didn't catch it. But, I will say, yeah. if you're going to get on the Paramount Plus, you got to watch uh, uh, Strange New Worlds, the Star Trek with Anson Mount. I don't know. Uh, very good. It's very good. If you liked uh, Next Generation or Deep Space Nine, this is like more Next Generation than anything, but very like solid. It's what everyone wanted from Star Trek <laughs> versus whatever they've been making over the past 30 years. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many Star Trek. It's hard. It's hard to... to it's. <laughs> I guess it's kind of nice because water cooler talk is back. Like I remember when when Game of Thrones or whatever, like that was very water cooler talk. And then if you watched anything else, no one cared. Same thing with Breaking Bad. And now there's just so much stuff that you need to talk to your friends to even get a beat on what you should be wa yeah, watching, yeah. which is a different version. Yeah. Well, that's why I like whenever they do just the like one episode a week release. I think it's way more fun to be able to watch it with people when it's just like, okay, it's all up there. Then you just wait until you have like a block of time and binge the thing but it's way more fun when it's week by week like the good old days like the yeah. good days <laughs> well and my problem too is like so for instance Stranger Thre Stranger Things 3 came out or 4 or whatever it was and uh, I waited until they came out with like part 2 or whatever mm -hmm. so I but because I'm an idiot and I work from home uh, I watched the whole thing and I was like, oh, part two is only one episode or two episodes. I'll finish this tonight. And it's a, like a four-hour episode. Yeah, yeah, it's so long. Oh. And so I I, I will so just the Donna Just or the um, Justice League movie, same thing. It's four hours long. And I was like, I'll start this at midnight. Nothing should be four hours long. <laughs> Let's make no. it better. <laughs> there's there's luckily we're starting to get the the good. 90 minute films they're starting to come back yeah yeah we specifically were like our missing cannot be two hours long. like we were like it must be an hour or something and we worked hard to get it to be that 
Well, at least you, you have control over that. <laughs> You've got two yeah. parallel edits. One's the one they want. One's that's 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, you know what's funny is I got the email to talk to you guys about the film, and uh, I was like, God, what is this, a ripoff of Searching? This is, come on. And then and then I, like, Googled it, and I was like, oh, it's like a sequel. Never mind. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some people have that reaction, though, and I was like, no, no, because, like, they didn't want to call it Searching 2, so that, it, you know, it's like a standalone sequel, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, some people are like, this just looks like Searching. <laughs> We're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, they, they learn it. Yeah. It's like the flip side problem of um, what Ryan Johnson had with, with Glass Onion. He wanted to call it just Glass Onion, and they were like, we should probably call it Knives Out Glass Onion. He's fine. Yeah, I remember seeing that, and we were, like, we talked about it, I think, because that was not like our team was always pushing for it to be searching too because we wanted people to know it was a follow-up but then they were like yeah but we don't want to alienate people that didn't see the first one and then not bother to go see this one but yeah well i was intrigued when i saw that ryan johnson thing. So i was like oh that's so funny that's like the opposite of what we were pushing for mm-hmm. he's like i don't care if people don't know it's related to the first you know well you could uh, I, I mean this is all marketing talk but like I suppose the, the in my head the answer is like you know it's somewhere from the producers or whatever from the creators of yeah uh, uh, searching yeah because, although that brought you searching doesn't it from the minds who brought you searching yeah which oh. doesn't really say this is a sequel but whatever yeah did you guys most people again searching at all uh no not technically i technically worked um for a couple months on the back end uh after it was already locked and out when we were um doing the localization which was going in and mm-hmm. scrubbing all the words out and then replacing them with different languages uh for the international releases good so, god yeah it was a nightmare and uh so that was my only experience on the first one but it kind of gave a a little peek behind the curtain at how these complicated horrifying movies are made, so. But we both yeah. we both like knew the filmmaking team and had attended early test screenings of it, so we mm-hmm. sort of like knew of its existence prior gotcha. to, yeah. Because on on the note of the localization and stuff, which I guess is like the the biggest question about either of these films is like how much is it all a year? Like what uh, is are we doing some screen capture? Is there a balance of the two? No, yeah, it's all, it's all, none of it is screen captured. So it's all built with Illustrator files, essentially, in After Effects. So then the localization team can go in and completely change any part of any language that they need to, which is actually helpful because when, you, when you're talking about localization, words have different lengths in different. So like start menu will have a completely different length if you translate it to German. Um, so you have to actually change the graphical elements a lot of the time, uh, not just the language. So we had to make sure we had complete control over every asset. How are you uh, getting those assets? <laughs> like, cause I, are you just rebuilding everything or is, is it kind of, bro, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> we, it wasn't just us. We worked with a couple like super small graphics teams would, of like a so. couple people um, who sort of helped make like version zero of each asset and then we could like change it from there and fill things in but by the end it was we were so desperately just trying to finish the movie that our team did end up actually just making a lot of things ourselves too but yeah so they would basically you know if from the graphics we would get like okay here's just like a blank gmail that has just like gibberish written out and then we would manipulate all the things add the photos and 
all the hover states, all the yeah. You know, every, every time the thing page changes at all, then that's like a different Illustrator file. The, for, I don't know why, because it's ostensibly an animated film, but for some reason that feels harder than an animated film because <laughs> they're trying to hit like a known target, and if it looks yeah. goofy, everyone will be like, "That's not right." Yeah, I mean, the attention to detail with this team, they did it on the first one too, but it's just mind-boggling. Like, we were, you know, pixel-perfect matching some of these things, and and our directors are, like, so knowledgeable about, like, fonts that they could look at a word and be like, oh, the kerning is a little weird on that E. You know, like, it's just like, whoa. So The fonts. Very the fonts alone were such a thing. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think the end result is, like, like they were pushing for every single detail, but I think the end result is that it does look screen recorded and people buy it as like, oh, this is a real computer that I'm in rather than like, I think a lot of TV shows, movies use like very clearly not real UI if they do show like a text message thing. And and I think that like changes the perception of believability. So I think that oh, it sure. does ultimately benefit the film, but it is definitely a long journey to get to that point of like, okay, it looks real <laughs> every detail is, is on point yeah that's the whole csi problem is they're they're all using some weird linux kernel that no one's ever heard of or something like that <laughs> yeah, like back yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. yeah the uh just the use of um video is so smart too in both of these films but i feel like it's a little perhaps more refined in this one where it's like oh how would they how would they film you know, cops entering a building. You're like, ah, uh-huh. it's a it's a television show that she's watching. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Like yeah. <laughs> those little, very very smart little uses of um, kind of trickery, almost. Yeah, yeah. I think with this movie more so even than searching, there was a, you know, I think if searching laid the groundwork and sort of taught people that a film like this can exist, I think this movie was constantly trying to reinvent that and say like, okay. The first one was just mostly on one computer screen. How many different kinds of screens can we be on here? And how many different ways can we see footage if we're not just limited to a FaceTime call? Then we have like her on a watch filming herself and, uh, you know, phones and, and the security cameras and this and that, which was exciting for us, you know, to have like a bunch more mediums to, to work with. I, I kind of wanted to know about, uh, just it, you just reminded me because uh, of like all the different devices and, and how personalized everything is. Is like how how much um, personalization is you guys kind of uh, adding what are ostensibly Easter eggs or whatever to someone's computer versus how much was directed or written? Like the hacker had or the the bad guy had everything. The search tool on his desktop, and I was like, "What well, is that? A direct swipe at me?" Look. <laughs> I use that tool. <laughs> yeah, no, our team, I mean, a lot of it was the directors uh, adding these Easter eggs. Like, um, for example, there's an entire subplot going on in the movie that's continuing an alien invasion subplot from Surging uh, that Justin Easter eggs in the background. And that was uh, our producer, Sam, like spent a long time mapping out that entire trajectory. So it was like the whole team in the that post-its. was post-its. Yeah, and so in the post-its, like, that was stuff that we were... I mean, the, the subplot's happening in post-its, in, in, like, news articles. News tickers on the bottom, like, we'll be seeing news about June or, and Grace, but in the bottom, it's, like, 
you know, mysterious blast in Baltimore. Well, like there's a whole story going on in the background. So you can watch it. (laughs) Just go take a look at that. Yeah. So it was like the whole team, like everyone kind of brought their own sort of little touches because there's just so much space in every shot to fill in. I don't know if we have a cameo as the TaskRabbit models uh, when she opens TaskRabbit. That's us. You know, we were just trying to like fill in as much as we could and make it feel you know like a full world of yeah yeah easter eggs they we had like a email thread throughout the two and a half years we're working on this where like any easter egg ideas were sort of just jotted down and then at the end it once we were in after effects was like okay now we get to fill all this in when we were editing in premiere we weren't focusing as much on kind of the like production designy details but once we got into after effects and had access to all the illustrator files that's when all of us were like not only the Easter eggs, but also just details about like what's what folders does she have on her desktop and like ways to kind of insert little uh, character moments here and there and, and details, which was cool. I mean, that's like yet another thing we edited. We were, you know, like director of virtual photography, like creating these shots within the, the computer and then we'll just add production, virtual production design. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but that was anything, our whole team doing that for sure if anything it's not it's almost costuming you know you're 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 informing the the character by way of of their uh chosen apps and notes and uh you know you can tell you can tell a lot about a person if they like if they have like you know new project dot project one new project dot project two <laughs> you know <laughs> A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So we had fun. It was fun actually, like adding once we kind of were locked and could switch our mindset a little bit from, you know, like figure out the story and, and that thing to these really minute details that was kind of like a fun, purely creative part of the process. Yeah, I, mean, I think it helps like the movie feels like it does. You could pause it at any frame and everything's intentional, right? Like, I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you could follow the joy of a screener. And that's what I like about about the, both of these movies is that they feel like you can keep rewatching and finding new new things that sort of enhance the experience, you know. Yeah, no, it's definitely yeah. Speaking of video games, it's got infinite replayability. Yeah, at least for <laughs> maybe not infinite, but you can probably get five through there before uh, you run it. I did see one. What did I write down? I just saw the the letters R R R on a post it, and I didn't know if that was the end of a big typey typey or if it was the a reference to the movie. But I that, yeah, Anish kept bringing it up and was like, "There's a reference," and we're like, "I actually don't think that's an intentional I, reference to the movie. It's yeah. it's the it's like of, front and like, center." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we I think we logged that in before we we knew too much about that movie. Yeah, well, that was the other thing I thought of. I was like, "Wait, this thing probably got wrapped a while ago. I can't imagine that movie just came out." Yeah, how did you? Get, but how you? But it could be a reference. <laughs> sure, if, as of now, it is. Yeah. Um, shout out to the Indian. Uh, viewership um i did want to know what the kind of or if you guys even had a it, much knowledge of this but like what the app permission or software permission system was like because something tells me like google wasn't just like yeah you can totally suggest that people can hack into other people's gmails and and shit like that great ad for two-factor authentication yes the whole film <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> totally. And one password. <laughs> um yeah, right. Uh the the short answer is 
we didn't have to deal with that. That was our producers and the legal team. So we kind of were able to just go forward worrying, you know, if there were any issues with things, you know, they'd come back and let us know. But for the most part, we we had like creative freedom in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think it was a producer and legal team issue <laughs> to figure all that out. But we got pretty lucky you know, getting to, I think, again, like it would have felt different if everything was like Schmoogle instead of Google or whatever. Right. So uh, there's, there are a couple moments we had to create like our own, like the dating website is our something we created and some of the things you see like in the third act of the film. Um, right. But for the most part, we were able to use the real things, which was super nice. Well, the, uh, that was actually going back to the assets thing. That's I was hoping, but I guess not. I was hoping that you guys got like permission from Google, Apple, Windows, whoever, and they were able to provide you with like some pre-made assets or whatever. Like, oh, here's some logos. Fuck. Nope. Had to make it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but I do think that we know more about Apple UI than perhaps Apple knows about their own UI at this point. <laughs> I mean, any improvements you'd like to make? Oh, well, we have some actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, I do want to know this. <laughs> every single, every single little like uh, animation, every like tabs opening. There's, there's so many like weird hidden details on on Apple UI. Like when you're hovering a mouse over tabs on Chrome, there's a little spotlight behind the mouse. So like mm -hmm. having to recreate all of those things was a headache, but it was. I mean, it was fun. It was like a puzzle, right? Like we were just digging into each thing. And every time we were like, okay, we're done. We've matched it. We'd find something new and have to keep going and going and going. Uh, and I think there's probably even a few things we didn't get. There, but. Yeah. Well, plus then Apple's like, you know, an Apple and also just websites are constantly just like updating themselves arbitrarily. And so we would, the whole Apple UI updated two different times during the course of this project. So there was, and one of those was like a very significant visual difference with like all these blurs and stuff so every time we would see an update we'd be like oh my god we gotta update the graphics again so luckily at, at a certain point you know the film technically takes place in june of 2022 so we were like okay anything that happens after this point like it's she didn't have that computer yet you know right. like, that update yet um so anachronistic but yeah i mean we were doing we were doing a lot of screen recordings and screenshottings when we were like working in the premiere phase um because we it, it, yeah we didn't have the like illustrator files yet so we were paying doing a lot of like you know how many frames does it take for a notification to slide in um what does it look like when she you know hits accept and trying to really really be true to life to give it that like real feel so i guess this didn't occur to me i, I thought well did did you like rough it out in premiere first and then kind of like finish it in after effects oh, okay yeah, and actually, exactly. so we we started this uh, six months before they started shooting anything, and we did what they did on the first film, which was we made a previs first. Um, so we just did like pictures of ourselves, pictures of our directors as stand-ins for the footage, and used Tim screenshots and roughed out the whole movie. So it was like a watchable version of the movie, just made with really really low-fi Tim assets, and then. We kept working with a lot of those temp assets once we got the footage and just kept tinkering and, you know, just doing a, a traditional edit. And it wasn't until we locked that we then moved it over to After Effects and started replacing all of those graphics with the high res stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say like 70% of the time we were working, we were in Premiere editing 
and building it. And then the last kind of 30% was making it look all sharp and pretty and after. It's it's like uh, replaces the colorist phase. It's just the, the high resing of everything. Yeah. Man, you, you wish for like a... If, if it were possible to uh, screen capture all the stuff, would you have at like a high enough resolution where it looked the same? Would that have been preferable or or is animating those assets still the correct way to go? Yeah, I mean, we were just we were just constantly having to change so much in every scene. It, it just really we because we worked with a couple uh, screen recordings when we were just doing the temp side. And it, it's harder to manipulate those when you want to make a change than it is right. the asset yeah. and be able to do whatever you want and- with it. And we did so, like, so much changed throughout the edit as far as what, you know, like, obviously we're locked into more or less the line said by the actors and the footage, but anything else we can keep changing forever and ever. So, like, if we the camera's seeing the characters talking and then we move over here and she starts looking through the internet, like, that can be changed to anything. So it's like we constantly were needing the ability to like update the graphics and change the copy and change what she's doing and so screen recording shockingly gets like harder to deal with because you're then you gotta like go back and screen record the whole thing as opposed to like let me just bring this into photoshop change the copy on the website and now update it um sure so yeah mainly it was for having control over it all yeah and even as much as like uh like the mouse movement and the way she types things like we were painstakingly kind of keyframing those to make it feel like she's you know going through something like having emotions while she's doing these things and if you just record typing it's kind of like locked in then you know so we were able to go in and change all of the timing and the performance essentially by animating those things were there any uh tools that you invented in your head that uh would have made your job easier (laughs) than uh because this is a pretty unique project that i you know i can't imagine any uh engineer was like you know what i should invent (laughs) Uh, maybe maybe if you could just <laughs> say to illustrator hey can you build this and then it instantly builds itself <laughs> oh the <laughs> AI version really of illustrator yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like feed it this and just now it suddenly creates it with every single thing as its own layer that would have been nice i'm going to save some time but to be for a couple years away from that maybe i don't you think we're there i mean it's only nine in the morning, but I'm already having stoner thoughts. Uh, the idea, I mean, chat, something like a chat GPT could theoretically, if because like the same company that makes that makes Dolly and all these other things. So I don't know how like we're maybe a few years away from it being super accurate, but I feel like a prompt to uh, AI generated image, even in layers, could happen tomorrow. Like that could, I don't know how you'd integrate it with, with Illustrator necessarily, but, mm. um, I don't actually feel like we're too far away from something yeah, like, yeah. and I mean, just, even if it was not exactly accurate, then at least you have a base to start from and, and you could then just finish it from there. I mean, tease it out. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's Next one. Well, it's something I think about a lot, uh, recently, like I'm sure a bunch of people do is like, how, how can modern AI tools um help everyone's worried about it taking your job i don't think that that i think is quite a way a ways away but as a co-pilot to many things um some of those tools are brilliant there, adobe makes a uh, podcast enhance thing so I, i'm going to take your guys's zoom audio which no offense sounds like shit, and uh chuck it in the 
everyone's does. It's not just you. And then I'm going to chuck it in the uh, podcast enhanced thing. And then it just sounds like you recorded it in a studio. Amazing. Wow. It, it saves me so much time and effort. I try so hard to like EQ out little, you know, problematic frequencies or like try to remove echo and it's never been perfect. And now I just upload and go make a coffee and, you know, come back and it's done. We were just asking about how GoPro now can like, like pre-edit your videos for you. Is that the app? The app has like, I don't know how they work it. It's been around for a minute actually, but yeah, GoPro has like a highlight reel feature. I think it just looks for a lot of movement and goes like, they probably did a backflip, you know, stealing our, our jobs, just editing something together. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no intentionality behind it. Oh, sorry. Um, I think we could have used actually, I think we, when we were doing the previs, it was like end of 2020. I don't think like Dolly and stuff was quite all the rage yet or available yet. But I feel like we could have actually used it during our previs phase because we were for certain, especially like the montage sequences, we were just like pulling things off YouTube and TikTok to sort of temp out what it could look like. And I feel like for certain things, we were sort of looking for something really specific that was sometimes hard to find. I feel like we could have yeah. used that yeah. to be like, like girls jump into pool and then phone falls and it's right. water. Like we yeah. could have just dollied a couple images. Next. Well, there's, there's a website, I don't know the name of it, but it's something like this person does not exist.com or whatever. And instead yeah. of using yourselves as as stand-ins, you could have just downloaded all those. Whoa, yeah. first does because they're just AI generated faces of people that don't exist. Spooky. <laughs> wow, that would have been so interesting. Yeah. Actually, that would yeah. have. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think the tools are like I think everyone's sort of just starting to figure out how they could be used, but I feel like the possibilities are. And. Well, and they keep, they've always said like, oh, technology will continue to speed up as time goes on. And there has been so many, I've been, you know, perpetually uh, nerdy my whole life. And every like five, seven years, I'm like, well, it's not going to get faster than this. And then, and then it does. (laughs) I know. You think about even just like 20 years ago, like none of this existed it's really oh wild 20 years ago i mean like i remember freshman or sophomore year of college and my friend david brichelle shout out david brichelle brought in this new phone he got we're, we all have uh blackberries because we're you know fucking cool and he yeah. brought in this thing called an iphone and we were like what's that smartphone you fucking wizard like it was hot <laughs> yeah he's like cheating you know on t-. he wasn't yeah. but you know you could all right immediately we we're like you could cheat on tests like <laughs> Yeah, we were in our, I don't know, middle school, high school days, we're texting with T9 word, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Can't even imagine. <laughs> it it yeah. was probably, especially if you were having a text argument or someone was breaking up with you over text and it took 40 <laughs> minutes to know if you were in trouble or not. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, now we can know instantly it was on breaking up. <laughs> yeah. Bro. That's how that's how missing becomes a mini series as you place it in the in the late or like early two thousands. Yes. Yeah. And then everything a lot of time. Yeah. It's just people waiting for dial up or DSL. Yeah. Nine texting. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've joked about searching three, who knows if it'll happen, but being something that actually takes place in the past <laughs> completely. And then it's just like a very different experience of technology. <laughs> well, speaking of that, I not I'm not gonna 
say too many specifics because this is coming out when the movie's just coming out, but the, um, what do I want to say? I guess the Windows XP portion, right? Yeah. Uh, great setup and payoff on the Windows XP portion because uh, it just complete. I went, yep, I downloaded that information and then just watched the film, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just the, the, it, I feel like it could be easy to write off a film like this as like kind of a, a um, what do you want to call it? Like a stunt? But yeah, the, yeah. the, a gimmick, thank you. Um, but the, the storytelling ability just in GUI and just in like seeing little, you know, like we said, post-its or texting is actually so deep and really, uh, um, enjoyable to, as a viewer. Yeah, that's great. That's, I mean, that's one of the things that even we were unsure about with screen movies before surging. And I think surging really broke the mold and showed that you can make something just with like a mouse, you know, feel very cinematic. And so it was really fun to, to, to think of this movie, not as just the technological side of it, but like really treating it as cinematically and, and, and focusing on the storytelling of it as we, as we could. And, and we were, we had to learn this completely, but by the end, you know, I feel so comfortable now creating a motion with a mouse, you know, it's like, oh yeah, there's so many, so many different tools that we didn't even know we ha we could use. And now it feels like there's so many options there. There's so many possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. One of and it's, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, it's cool to hear you say that about the, the opening, because that specific sequence was something that, you know, searching's opening sequence starts off super strong and super emotional. And so we originally had something more similar to that in this. And then in, we do a lot of uh, feedback screenings as we're working on, on the movie. And we were getting some feedback that it was like, oh, it's too similar to that. Mm -hmm. But then once I think it was written into the script, but also just really further developed in the edit was like having, you know, you think we sort of boiled down the, the opening sequence to what it is in the movie, but then the, the sort of like, re-understanding of what you are seeing there i think is what yeah. makes that sequence kind of sting which is cool well it's uh correct me if i'm not mistaken but it's almost the exact same sequence you're just watching it again yeah yeah there's again information shots. yeah yeah and what you thought was happening was actually yeah. something different yeah well and that's through the whole f i mean the 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 uh the fake outs throughout the film may are make a great thriller you know i i definitely especially when i get screeners like i'm obviously when you want to go see i wanted to see this film but like when you when you pay to go see a movie i think you're primed more to enjoy it or hate it depending on the kind of person you are but with screeners i often you know sometimes i'm doing something else or whatever and i'm just writing down questions but this i literally like the whole time was like all right so we'll turn this on and all and then i was just locked for whatever they are, 45 minutes as we said and the, no, what is it like one, two hours? Like an hour fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a it let's buy yeah. at a great, uh, great speed. Yeah, we <laughs> keep it moving no. for sure. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I think that's that's props, especially to our writer, writer directors, and the producers who wrote the outline for the film. They're mm -hmm. they're super good at like planting things and turning it into something else and twists and turns. I think this movie is the quite a roller coaster. Yeah. Sure. What was your, uh, 
we can get as nerdy as you want or completely ditch these topics depending on how nerdy you are as people. But uh, what was your kind of like media management like between kind of the shared editors and, and all that? Because uh, I know a lot of people listening do love that kind of uh, help, really. Yeah. yeah. So we, we used um, Adobe Premiere Productions, which I think had just come out when we were starting, essentially. Um, and so we, when we started, we were remote. We were working from our own homes. And so we used, um, God, what was that shared server? Uh, LucidLink? LucidLink, yeah. We used oh, yeah, sure. Love them. As, as sort of like a cloud server that we then had our, our productions. And so we had our assistant editors and us. We could just hop in and out of, of any project and know exactly who was where, which was incredibly helpful. Um, and then, yeah, once we got the footage and once uh, the we were moving into the just edit of the film, we we all moved to a a an office, but we were in different rooms the whole time. So we really relied on productions to just keep us organized and and be able to share things instantaneously, which was like, I'll never go back. I feel like even if I'm just editing with myself, like productions is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, once we were in the office, our server became like a physical server in, in the office and we were all sharing. But the production thing was key. It was super, super nice for sharing stuff. Because as the two of us, we were like constantly sharing scenes back and forth with each other. It wasn't like, okay, you take that half of the movie, I do this. We were like, we'd each work on a scene. We'd work on it for a while with the directors and producers. You know, once you sort of get to the end of like, God, I can't look at this scene anymore or I'm out of ideas we kind of like trade it back and forth. So we were mm. all always sharing stuff, which was made it easy. So uh, I guess this will be a question for each of you. So in, I guess you can answer like in which way does production, like basically for people who don't know how does productions work and how does that enhance what used to be a more of like a trading project files over Dropbox kind of thing, but also how is productions good as a, as a solo editor? Cause I actually haven't heard anyone uh, so, yeah, so idea. whereas normally you're working in a, a normal premiere project, if you were to try to s share that, you'd have to send it to someone else, essentially. But Productions is a collection of different projects all in one kind of nucleus. Um, so we split up all of our scenes into a different section, and each of those was its own standalone project. So that allowed us to be in, in the production at the same time, but everyone could be in a different project. Um, and I think the reason why it would be great for a solo editor is that in, if you're working, especially in something that's long form and you have just one project with all of that material, all of those cuts, it can obviously get a little bit bogged down. But by splitting it up into smaller projects, you're kind of like guaranteeing you can always have like pretty fast speed and uh, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, if you, even if you're editing alone, if you have an AE working with you, it's e much easier for them to kind of just like pop in and and either give you media that you ask for or prep for whatever turnover they're doing. Like they can have the same access that you have without needing to be like, okay, like here, I'll email you the latest project. Oh wait, are you sure that's the latest? I made this change at 2 p.m. You know, kind of just simplifies everything. Yeah. So uh, structurally is basically just like kind of looks like a normal premiere window. And then instead of bins, you have projects. Yeah. 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 Is the media it, it functions it functions as like it's not any different than a regular premiere project other than when you open it's like with Avid you have bins. It's basically that. So it's like if you open a project, it locks it with your name so that someone else can't 
make changes in it. And so everyone knows, okay, Austin's in that project. I won't touch it. And then as soon as you close out, someone else could open it and then like see the latest of what you've done. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my friend, uh, Valentina, Valentina V of directing and cinematography fame, uh, had a had a uh, i'm sure you've seen it because you must have disseminated it but there's like a screenshot of your timeline i assume it was in premiere um and someone had a question about basically why they were stacked so tall and i assumed it was uh just assets on top of each other but then i guess there was a question i should probably have looked this up idiot uh but um like if there were adjustment layers or anything like that or like what was kind of going if you could maybe walk through what that timeline was kind of built out of yeah 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 so um why was it so tall great question each of those uh layers was a different graphic asset so in order like we were saying in order to have control over everything we made each thing its own layer so for even just talking about the background of a desktop we have the dock is a separate layer than the top bar is a separate layer than the folders that are there is a separate layer than her FaceTime window and the the uh, Chrome window. And the reason for that is because if one of those elements needs to change, we need to be able to change it without having to like redo everything. And so right. the top bar, you know, if the top bar has to change time <laughs> or if she clicks on something on the top, then we're just manipulating that one layer rather than having to like make everything new again and so we have you know a lot of scenes have like anywhere from 20 to 40 something i'm sorry i something happened where i draw or the audio dropped out and i don't know if it recorded it so if you could go back like 20 seconds <laughs> oh shit yeah yeah, yeah. My bad. That's can you my... hear me okay yeah yeah no I, I i was checking the uh the twitter thing and i think whatever i did created windows to yeah no worries my head um, up for a second so basically, I'll just say that thing again. So basically, yeah. uh, the reason our timeline gets so tall is because every single video layer that you see is a different graphic asset. So we have a different layer for the dock than we do from the top bar, than we do from her FaceTime window, than we do from the Chrome window. And the reason for that is to allow us kind of complete control and animating it. And if, you know, one element changes, then we don't have to like make everything new again we can just go change that one graphic asset and import a new one and then uh you know we're tracking her animate or we're animating as the character is going through and making changes or clicking on things um and so the result of that is that some scenes especially when she's like moving things around or doing a lot of typing or whatever you know if if you foreground something then suddenly you have to then take like <laughs> a chunk of assets that were behind now are are above and so you then end up with this like tetris effect a little bit which ends up some those are the scenes that really get quite tall um and then our adjustment layers um are were our virtual camera and so we would if you remove those adjustment layers you basically are seeing a wide of the computer but the way that we we cover the shops is by creating or the way we cover the scene is by creating shots and we do that by taking an adjustment layer and adding a transform effect on it and then that allows us to like zoom in to wherever we want or or like we can keyframe a, a camera move from here to here and so every single shot basically has a corresponding adjustment layer 
to it that tells it what to look at. Gotcha. And that's, yeah, and that's way easier than scaling and moving every asset in the... Yeah, yeah. I didn't actually know you could do that with that with with adjustment layers. Yeah, well, so on the first movie, actually, Nick and Will, when they edited the first movie, they built the wide the same way we did, and then they nested the entire wide into one. That's what I would have done, and then chopped that up and and just adjusted there. But the problem with that is that if you want to start making timing changes, you have to step into the nest, make all the changes, step out, make sure everything adjusts, and it just becomes a little bit more of a a logistical headache. Um, So we. We're very excited when we started this. We were like, how can we improve this? There must be a way to make the editing faster. Um, and we stumbled upon the the idea of the adjustment layer. And yeah, that just changed everything because it's all visible in the timeline. So any change you want to make, it's just all right there and much easier to adjust. So the multiple uh, adjustment layers that are all at the top, is that just so that one uh, camera angle goes and then is cut off like it's a cut basically to the next yeah. one? Yeah. But this yeah. one is still, I guess, running, quote unquote, on, underneath it. But it just reads oh, you're, the top you're, you're saying when there's like a stack of two, for instance? It looks, uh, the picture, I don't want to go to the picture just in case it yeah, shuts yeah, it yeah. up again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it looks like there's like a stack of a, of quite a few um, adjustment layers yeah. at the top. Maybe. Like there's a bunch of stuff at the bottom and then a big pink slog of pink yeah. clips. Yeah. The reason for multiple is one of two things. One is sometimes, a lot of times we would want to add like a slow push in and sometimes it was easier to just make a new adjustment layer that only has the scale effect rather than because once we like repoed the thing with unless you then have to like move the anchor point it would have like not zoomed in keeping it centered it's a really like nerdy specific thing no that's fascinating though that's so smart (laughs) a lot of times this scale the scale push in would be on its own layer and the the second thing is that for whatever reason we found that if you tried to uh, blow something up more than 400%, it would get like a little wonky. Uh, and it would make you want, it would make you like render everything, which we were trying to like not have to do that all the time. So we keep moving. So sometimes it's just like, oh, we actually need to be punched in 600%. So there's a 400 <laughs> and then another 200 or whatever on top of that. And then the, the scale in on top of that. So that's why we have stacked. But in theory, it could have all been accomplished with just one adjustment layer on top. But we were trying to like move quickly. Sure. Well, but uh, even so, like that, even if it's not what you needed to do, I didn't know that functionality even existed. So that's, I can't think of anything right this second. I actually had to do a a GUI tutorial for a company and uh, that you guys would definitely know. And uh, I uh, had to record the thing because they gave me the assets, but none of them like worked the way they were supposed to. They were just like a layout and something called I think it was Figma, actually. Maybe not. That doesn't sound right. But uh, yeah, it was a nightmare. And I just screen capped everything and moved my mouse really slow. But uh, yeah, all the scaling and everything, I just did manually each clip. And I had no idea I could have just left it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think actually in in then if you're even if you're just doing like a traditional edit, if you ever have a need to add like a slow push in over the course of like five or six clips, I feel like using the adjustment layer plus a slow scale on the transform effect would be a really nice way to do that. Without having to- I'm such an idiot. I didn't even think about doing it over multiple clips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Doing any moves over multiple, that's a great tip. And then it keeps the move constant rather than, you know, sometimes you're like, is it 100 to 103 or 102? Like what's what's the scale factor? But that just makes it like a even 
even put. That's great. Yeah, that was like our, when we figured that out, we were like, our lives just got a hundred times easier. We were thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) So if you were, because obviously in a traditional edit, I shouldn't say obviously, in a traditional edit, you've got generally, you know, oh, um, A camera is usually on track A, whatever, or especially in audio, you know, vocal one, vocal two, you know, so if you were, uh, Swip, you know, swipping, that's a good word, uh, swapping layers uh, up and down. What was your kind of timeline organization like? How are you making that sort of it, it really felt tenable? Like basically our organization was sort of like different from scene to scene. And that's why when you look at the full string out, it is a little crazy because we were doing this on a, on a section by section basis for the most part. We tried to keep the footage as much as possible on one track and then move the apps up and down around it. But sometimes in like super complicated sequences, it just wasn't possible. So it was very much unlike a traditional one where we weren't just setting like, oh, here's where the footage lives. It kind of depends, depended on like what she had open on her screen and how many assets we had in there. But we color coded all of our footage yellow. Uh, so if you look at that uh, timeline, all the yellow clips are where the footage lives. Gotcha. I actually, uh, I've got my notes down here. I wish I could like tape my notes to, um, speaking of AI, there's a, this is apropos of absolutely nothing. There's a, there's a NVIDIA AI where it will sync to your webcam. So no matter where you're looking, the eyes are always forward. And I tried to use it once and it's very discons. It's not, it's like, like it look, it looks nor it looks correct, but it's just a little bit off. It's just a little bit. And like, I was testing it and I was like, this is going to make someone think I'm a serial killer. Like this is too. (laughs) Wait, what's the point of that? Just to make it so. So it's for, you know, if, so if I were to look at my laptop, I'd be down here, right? Yeah. So I have another monitor that's right under the lens just so I can be a little more wow. um, here. Just so, it, so their thing is like people who are looking down, wouldn't it be nice if you could maintain eye contact? It makes the person listening feel a little more listened to, but it's, uh, and it, I'm telling you, it, it looks perfect. Like it's really well done. It gets the blinks and everything. If you look too far away, it goes back to your normalized, but it's just like a little too... <laughs> And especially if you're looking downward, like, you know, it's the head position, just like this, this is not a good look. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, Doesn't Apple like FaceTime have something where they, like, if you're looking at the person talking, which is in the middle of the screen, they change it so that it looks like you're looking at the camera. Wouldn't surprise me. I think they do. Cause sometimes my like sister will be like, what the fuck's going on with your eyes? And I think it's like, that, like, it's like, do it's probably the same, whatever that same software, the, the face yeah. tracking has gotten out of control. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, the other thing I wanted to ask about that I just spotted here that got me on this whole track was, uh, introducing like, so you've got the real footage, I guess first question, not that it truly matters, but like, what was all that shot on? Cause I can't imagine we were like, let's use webcam. Uh, they, had, footage. they actually use like eight cameras on the shoot. And so. Most of it was the Sony A7S. Okay. Uh, it's a DSLR um, three. Yeah. Um, most of the like laptop footage and even the iPhone footage was shot that way, but they used a bunch of different cameras just for different um, effects. So they did use iPhone in a couple of places. They used a red for some of the news footage. Um, they use actual security cameras for some of the security camera stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. There's a whole mix of, of things going on there. Because the the reason I ask is because the one thing that I was like, that's a good 
I don't know if I don't know if it was necessary, but it was like a good artistic touch was like introducing lag into the video. Uh, and I was wondering how that was. You, oh, yeah. Uh, so walk walk me through that process. So that was another thing they did on the first one, which was one of the very unique tools in a screen movie like this that we didn't know we could use. But basically, every time you see a glitch or a lag that is there intentionally, and most of the time it's us uh, changing the take in some way. So we could adjust timing. Smart. We could switch takes completely and then you just do like a freeze frame step glitch and put some compression over it and suddenly it just looks like the connection was bad for a few seconds but it really really saved us in being able to just do anything we needed for the timing and 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 the performance and anything we wanted <laughs> this is this is one of the few movies too where there's an intentional like we have to make this footage look worse for the final <laughs> movie so we would like at to, to help with some of those moments, we were literally like exporting the footage at a really shitty bit rate and bringing it back in and being like, all right, looks good enough for the final movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what's yeah. funny is nowadays, especially the man, every time I do a podcast, there's the Kenny screams at cloud section as an old man. Uh, but the kids, the youth these days seem to be very into uh what is ostensibly like a low file, you know, either mini TV or VHS or film. It was filmed for a second. And now it's just early 2000s, uh, you know, Canon um, power shots or whatever. But uh, when I'll see on like editing forums and stuff, people be like, oh, how can I get this look? And it's like literally just exported at 0.5 bit rate. Yeah. It'll look exactly yeah. the way you want. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. I feel like every generation reaches back 20 years to like find something that's gone away and then says, this is what's cool. We got to do it this way. Like all of us in our records now, you know, like I mean, <laughs> I, I have a, I have a big ass record collection. I also, I also see, uh, is that a criterion color? Are those books? Those are books. These are all books. This is I read laser. <laughs> I know it's a nerd. <laughs> it's funny. My, uh, my girlfriend lives with me and, and we've got two shelves on either side of the front door and there's my Blu-ray section and then just her ceiling to floor bookshelf with like things that are just stacked because we that happened to those were our degrees. But uh, it is a funny like yeah. dichotomy of like, man, we know so much about the other person's like, uh, what do you call it? Not degree, but like art form. But I don't, you know, like story being the, the unifying thing. Yeah, anyway, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, what else did I have to talk about? Oh, shit. This was actually just another, um, oh, two things actually. I'll get to that. Um, the, uh, sort of vertigo effect where it pushes in on the mom when she realizes what's going down. I was like, that's a sick, I don't even know if I'd call that a fourth wall break, but it, you know, where you, you break from the idea of, of a real GUI and you like push through it. I was, that was a very cool little. Uh, I high fived you guys in the air for my, you know, my computer. Yeah, that was that was a real fun one, and because that that was something that I think searching kind of like set the ground rules for like how a movie on a screen like this can work, and we tried to stick to reality as much as possible, but finding those couple key moments where we could just sort of step outside of reality and 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 give a little effect. Yeah, that was just I, I, that was pretty early that we did that. Uh, yeah. 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 And it, it just it, it stuck. Yeah. Well, because that's such a that's like the midpoint 
oh shit moment of the movie. So it was like, okay, if any if any moment deserves that, it's it's that moment in the film. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's a very yeah. It. I mean, again, it's it's. I think the thing that makes it so novel and so fun is that it's a very simple, um, uh, not premise, um, idea of a screen captured sort of story, but the ways that you're able to manipulate expectations as you go through are all, um, very fun and, and make the, the viewing more exciting. Uh, great use of Google earth. Yeah. That was that, that had to have been screen capped or were you animating all that too? That was, um, well, you, like we used Google earth tool and I think you can like create. Mm -hmm. a, you can, yes. We basically made that in Google earth. So, okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. We had a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that, that was um, like a fun idea that we came up with, I think, during the previs phase, which, you know, during these montage sequences, there was more opportunity for kind of ideation and exploration of like, what are different things we can insert here? And we were really excited about that one. It's like a really fun hype moment, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it took a lot of trial and error with those keyframes to get it right. <laughs> What's fun about that too is like it seems kind of like a really big break in the moment if you're just looking at suddenly we're zooming over the highway, but it is literally what you can do with Google Earth. Like we we are sticking to the truth of the yeah. Well, I remember a few years ago, this might have been five because of, you know, uh, but uh, I remember you had to ask permission to use that tool from Google and they were like, why do you want it? And I was like, well, I, the reason I wanted it is because I had certain clients that wanted like drone footage of areas. And I was like, or <laughs> I can save us both a bunch of money and just record it on Google Earth. Um, and I never ended up doing that, but I did, they did give me permission to use it. But I just remember when you, when you guys put it in, I was like, oh, that thing, I forgot about that tool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's available for anyone now. I think it's kind of like like Dolly. You had, to, you had to ask for permission too, but I think Dolly is now uh, open to anyone. I guess it's just it was in the beta phase or something. So yeah, I I don't know. I mean, with I I got the invite to Dolly, and that just rolled over into like Chat GPT and stuff. So again, perpetual nerd. So I just any like even when Gmail first came out, I was like one of the first few people who uh, I should have just picked up like Kenny at Gmail, but I was like just make it. My cool gamer name, like a idiot. <laughs> Damn, you missed out. You just, I, re I really did. You could um, have been the, oh, the Tom of MySpace of email I, accounts. Was, <laughs> well, and, and how, somehow they, there must be like an internal team, but uh, I don't know if you've ever had to email anyone famous, but nine times out of 10, it is like Tom Cruise at gmail.com. And you're like, how the fuck did you get that? <laughs> I know, it is funny. Yeah. Uh, no one should tr attempt to do that though. Um, <laughs> I asked, I asked a very famous DP. He goes, "It's my name at me .com. and I was like, "Bro, really? Like, <laughs> you don't have a website?" <laughs> but uh, oh, the so in a few chunks of the movie, there are um, chat like uh, it's like Twitch or whatever, you know, um, and the very. I wanted more kudos for you guys. Very realistic names and chat and people like that's what people would say. Because uh, yeah. there's some films that really don't do that correctly. And I was wondering if if that was all was that more freeform? Was that scripted out like those little elements there? 
That, yeah, that was something that I think most of that came from Nick, one of our writer directors, who is like, I feel like very in tune with internet speak and build out. Yeah, there's like a scene, she's watching something play out in Colombia and there's like this chat going on on the side. Yeah, I think most of that he filled in. The details like that where it's like, it's not critical to the story, but it's more of like an added detail where that was all kind of added in that final post post phase and after effects um but yeah he did a lot of that uh and nailed it for sure your your username shows up in that zcow is uh commenting on you, you're you're not having that my name's in that too yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah why yeah. not the uh oh the other thing too that I, i'm jumping all now that i'm actually looking at my notes i'm like oh my god i had so many questions um the sound design in this film is it must have been uh an experience. I was wondering if you uh it was that maybe even easier because it's a little more puzzle piecey than trying to design something, you know, if this click happens, this sound happens. Or or how did uh how'd you guys approach sound design? Was that a different team? Yeah. The, I mean, we had the way I think like similar to traditional film where in the edit you're sort of temping out a lot of the sounds and then you send it to a sound designer at the end who makes it all sound way better than than you, we were doing. And that major kudos to our sound designers, PK Hooker, his name, um, who did an amazing job because this is not an easy movie to sound design, I think. Um, but we did have a lot in general. We tried to, again, be as far as like the computer sounds, we tried to really be true to life. But we had a whole like weeks and weeks and weeks of auditioning. What is going to be the sound of the mouse click? And it was different because on the first film, he's using like a mouse mouse, right? And here she's on a laptop. And so it's like the the trackpad mouse. And we had so many auditions of like what combination of like low end and high end makes up that click. I was going to say the bass, the amount of bass. Yeah. No. And you hear the click probably 500 times in this movie and so it needed to be something that isn't annoying but also feels real and it took a, a lot of trial and error yeah. to get that yeah. mix just right yeah and then there's like different performances of the click depending on if she's like mad and, and closing things out really quickly or or moving slowly so yeah yeah that's great uh yeah i don't know if you so many details we have to get going, which sucks. Oh, but yeah. uh, I should have asked at the beginning if there was any of those Easter eggs that you were particularly fond of um, that you maybe put in there or one that, you know, like no one can see, but you know, it's there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff over post-its, you know. Yeah, yeah. I love our our cameo. I'm, I'm a big fan of that moment. There's a moment uh, in the first one, Nick and Will had a cameo when they were going through like a a video chat site where there's a footage of them shaving uh, Will's head. And so in this one, there's a photo in one of the things where like they're shaving Nick's head instead. So it's uh, nice. <laughs> I mean, but honestly, my favorite sort of Easter egg level detail is without giving anything away, but there's a lot of little details that are pointing to kind of the big twist of the movie. Um, some, some hidden in the background and some pretty blatant that are there for anyone to see and we were always like is this too much like are we making it too obvious and i think for 99 percent of the time it's not too obvious and so it's it's fun to to i think on second viewings that's a thing that a lot of people would be like oh my god like i just I, now that you know what to look for like that's there that's not there yeah, so there's definitely oh go ahead 
Oh, I was just going to say the little subplots going on in the background. There's many stories. So there's the whole alien invasion one, but also that character, Angel, and his smartwatch. Like, there's like a whole narrative going on with him, even up to the last scene, which I I just love so much. Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely a few times where, uh, yeah, I guess I can't say that because that'll kind of give it away. But there's a few where you're like, wow, you really did just put that in front of my face and I just didn't pick up on. But I'm also bad at things like, you know, character names and stuff like that. I don't, I don't remember. They, they just fly by me and I'm just, I just remember faces, you know? Oh, that one, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, before I let you go, I ask the same, a uh, couple questions of everyone normally on frame and reference, the cinematography podcast, but it'll still work here. Uh, if you were to, uh, program a double feature with missing and another film, and it probably should not be searching, uh, what, uh, what would you make the other film? Oh boy. Oh boy. Let me That's super interesting. I feel like we would go old school. Like this is so rooted in today. I feel like we'd have to pair it with something like a classic yeah, so like, like, film. Yeah, something like slow and and not fast, you know, like something uh like uh uh like uh cachet by uh which is one of Nick's favorite films by uh Michael um, or Haneke or whatever. I, something like really purposefully slow and plot. <laughs> Yeah, something something suspenseful and God yeah, and a else. classic suspense thriller. I think something something with maybe I mean that Vertigo shot, which is pair of Vertigo, or like Rear Window because it's a very yeah uh, looking at the lights. Rear Window is a window. great one. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's a great one. Got it. Got it. Especially because it doesn't go anywhere; it stays right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. And then uh, we'll shortcut all the other questions and and just go with uh, a lot of people ask like what the best piece of advice you ever got is. And I found that's not very educational. What's the worst piece of advice you ever got? Oh, you're really not the worst, but you know, like this is what we learn (laughs) or how rather. I I don't know if this is. Okay, this is sort of the worst, but also secretly is answering what's the best piece of advice, which is uh You found my I secret. I feel like sometimes people are really, really picky about especially when you're starting out, about if you're looking to be a filmmaker, about what you say yes to. Mm-hmm. And I think that the key is at the beginning you should just say yes to as much as you can. Because you never know, like, which people you work with are going to lead to something down the line. Or at that point, it's just like everything is a learning opportunity, too. And so I think that was how I sort of navigated the first decade of my career, I guess, and sort of still am in a way. But, like, just saying yes to as many things as possible because it's all use, even if it's a terrible project. And, you know, I think some people are concerned about, like, having their name on things but it's like right. don't worry too much about that just keep making stuff keep saying yes you'll get better as a filmmaker whatever craft you choose and i think a lot of filmmaking just has to do with people meeting people and and building out kind of your network so yeah i'm the first person to say that i would say in a similar way it's like uh not waiting for the things to like opportunities to arise like kind of like i'm a big proponent of of keeping busy and just making your own stuff as much as possible. And I think a lot of people probably like wait around for some, you know, some kind of opportunity to come their way. But I think if you're, 
engaging in the stuff you like doing and kind of practicing as much as you can doing your own stuff like that can only help in the long run you know like that can only and that also leads to connections and and visibility that can who knows where it leads you know absolutely absolutely well i just really uh, you didn't even say you didn't say about filmmaking you just said in general right we just want uh, to answer in filmmaking <laughs> so i guess the the conceit is it should be about filmmaking but sometimes okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, the normally i interview cinematographers and i've found that a lot of cinematographers jobs are not uh related to the job so sometimes like the worst piece of advice they got has something to do with like i guess it's kind of job related but you know like um networking or whatever or kind of in the same vein of like just say yes to everything is kind of like some people are very standoffish working with others for that kind of same reason or something like that. so um yeah but usually advice comes from work anyway but so you answered yeah. great <laughs> <laughs> like don't swim yeah yeah don't swim after you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would actually be pretty funny if it's like what's the worst piece of advice and they're like well if, if you get a hangnail you're <laughs> yeah <laughs> Don't, don't try to jump and car. go out when it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try <laughs> to jump your car with a uh, with a drill battery. I just watched a guy do that with two forks the other day. Oh, that was oh my God. Intense. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'll let you guys get going. Uh, thanks again so much for uh, hanging out with me. The, like yeah. I said, the movie's amazing, and I hope a lot of people get to see it. Cool. Uh, Cheers. Thanks so much. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark Pelly, and the F&R Matbox logo was designed by Nate Truax of Truax Branding Company. You can read or watch the podcast you've just heard by going to ProVideoCoalition.com or YouTube.com slash Owlbot, respectively. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>